listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. I'd love for you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. Thirteen weeks ago, we began a series through the book of Galatians that we titled, Don't Be Fooled. But anytime you walk through any book of the Bible, it'd be a shame to get through the end of the book and to not really even remember why this book was written. So before we jump into Galatians chapter 4 this morning, I want to remind us why Paul penned this letter. In fact, you find it in it's so important for us, for our understanding and appreciation for what we're going to see today, to look back. And you see this in Galatians, the first chapter, verse 6. And this is what Paul says. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So Paul's writing to these Christians that are in danger of turning away from the truth of who Christ is and what he's done and their identity that is found in that. And what is so beautiful about the Bible is how relevant it is almost 2,000 years later. Because we are also in such a danger of deserting or turning from the truth of the gospel. Now Paul is not saying that you can lose your salvation, but that you can actually turn from the truth of who you are in Christ. So this morning, what Paul's going to do, he's going to use a very relevant example to talk about the dangers of deserting or turning from the truth of the gospel. This morning, he's going to use the example of adoption. I believe adoption is at the heart, at the center of who God is. I am so thankful that God has placed the call to care for orphans on this church and my family. My wife and I are blessed to have two children that were adopted. And their paths could not be different. I mean, they are so different in every shape or form. Our precious Kylie girl, our first child... In January of 2002, we connected with an adoption agency in Dallas. I was almost done with my first round through seminary, uh, and it took us about six months to get through all the training, do all the paperwork, background checks, fill out all the forms, and then prepare this one page. You had to condense everything about you into one single front-sided page. That's all you got. Well, that July, we were finally ready. We were told to relax, be patient, because it might take six months or really a year is really what you should kind of plan for. Well, in just a little over a month, we were sitting at home on a Sunday night. In fact, it was Sunday, August the 12th, to be exact. We were completely worn out from a full summer of ministry. Marla had a headache. She was laying on the couch. I think she fell asleep and my phone rang. There's a voice on the other end that said a beautiful little girl had just been born and the birth mother wanted us to be her parents. I mean, that experience could not have gone any smoother or better. In fact, the agency told us we like to use families that go through this to help other ones, but we can't use you 
because yours went too flawless. And we don't want people to hold you up to go, oh, that's how it should be. Well, fast forward with me six years. We just moved to Tyler, become a part of this great church, Bethel Bible Church. And we were eager to adopt again. But this time we prayed about it and we felt God leading us to the country of Ethiopia. In early 2008, we started the paperwork, and we thought we had done a lot the first time, but we had three three-inch binders that were full of materials. We worked as fast and as hard as we could complete all of that work. And in six months, in early fall 2008, we were officially on the waiting list. But we knew things would probably not go as smoothly or as quickly. That next January, we found out for the very first and only time that Marla was expecting. We uh, were totally shocked. Every doctor was shocked. We could not believe it. And so God blessed us with a beautiful little baby boy. But we still wanted to complete this adoption that we began. So when he was six months old, we officially ramped everything back up. Then in October 2010, I opened up an email that I could not believe. We had been matched with a beautiful little girl that was almost two years old. So in January 2011, we packed our family of four up and we traveled to Ethiopia. Once we arrived, we got settled into this room in this home. The day we'd been waiting for was finally here and we took a taxi. We drove up to this orphanage. We pulled up to a 12-foot-high, solid metal wall. No way to see out. Little gate opens just big enough for our car to go in. And once inside, we saw this house. This house had five rooms. And inside one of those rooms, about the size of our nursery here at church, was a room full of about 10 to 14, or 12 to 14 children about her age. As soon as we walked in, you began scanning that room for that picture that you have memorized. And you finally catch her eye. We knew she was ours, but we couldn't let her know. You had to play and interact with all of the children. We got to go see her three times while we were there for only 45 minutes. We then made that painful journey home. We waited and waited for her passport and visa. They told us about six to seven weeks, so spring break, we were ready. Well, that six to seven weeks turned into 40 weeks. In fact, there was a time we were told that it may not go through. In fact, we even got a letter from Senator Corrin trying to persuade the government to finalize our adoption to allow us to come and bring our daughter home. And man, we were heartbroken. We were three weeks away from our paperwork all expiring, and we would have to start over. But in October of 2011, Marla and I finally got to travel to bring her home. But nothing, there is not a class, there is not a video, there is no one that could have prepared us for what was about to happen. The first visit You're in this home with five other families and there's excitement and the days are spent sightseeing and visits to the orphanage and supper together at night. 
But this time it was only Marla and myself and the housekeeper. The day after we arrive, this van pulls up and out steps this lady and she emerges from the van holding Ophi. The lady walked up the steps and handed her to Marla and then left. The fear in this little girl's eyes was overwhelming. This was the first time she could ever remember being outside of those iron fences. We tried everything. We tried food, playing, singing. Tried everything that we knew to soothe her. So for four days, we would go to bed and wake up and start that cycle over and over again, trying everything that we knew. We'd finally received word that her paperwork was ready and it would be time for us to go to the embassy and then travel home. But there was one final stop. We would travel back to that orphanage for a coffee ceremony and for the caregivers to be able to say goodbye. When we drove through that gate, she became a different child. All of a sudden, she's smiling. She's talking. She's happy. And it was heartbreaking. We had so much love for this child. She had a brother and a sister, entire family waiting on her. We had clothes and toys and uh, a home, so much waiting for her, a whole new and exciting life. But she was doubting our love. She could not realize that she was a true daughter of ours. You see, all she knew was the life of an orphan. All she knew was that orphanage, and she kept longing She kept wanting to run back to her identity. So here's what Paul's going to do this morning. This is what Paul will say in seven verses. Don't run back to the orphanage. This is broken up into three sections. I've titled the first two verses, The Plans of the Father. Read with me and follow along with me in Galatians chapter 4. It says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he's under the guardians and managers until the date set by the father. Last week we saw the law. The law was holy, it was pure, it was given to the children of Israel as a guardian. It was never meant to stay there, but it was meant to guide them until faith, that is Christ, came. Once faith came, there would no longer be need to keep the children under watch in the care of the guardian. But they were actually, Paul says, you are actually heirs. You just don't realize it. So Paul will continue this thought from last week of an heir, and he will use this illustration of a young child. Every young child is born into something. They're born into an inheritance. But until that child is old enough, Paul says they are treated as a slave. Now here's why Paul would say that a slave, a slave has no freedom. A slave has no ownership. A slave cannot make decisions. So a child, or a better word, a minor of an inheritance is treated as if they have no ownership, as if they have no freedom, 
They cannot be trusted to make decisions even though everything is actually theirs. It is theirs by right, but they've not yet had it in experience until, it says, until the Father, until the Father decides now. Now is the time. So Paul is telling the Christians in Galatia that that all along it's what you did not realize is that the Father is making plans. He's making plans for that moment that they will realize the truth of the gospel. They will fully experience the truth of who they are. So even though all they could see was their life like a slave, with no rights and no ownership, they're actually heirs. They were already heirs by promise, Paul says. But now they need to fully experience the joy and the love and the acceptance that only God could give them. But they have a problem. They are deserting the truth. They're turning away from who they are. And they are trying to run back to the orphanage. So Paul's going to show us two things. Trying to win them back to this. So first of all, he says, the Father, he's made plans. Trust in his plans. But then he's going to show us that once the Father plans, that Christ secures. He secures our place in God's family. Look at verses 3. In the same way, in the exact way, we also, we were children. We were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. This phrase, elementary principles of the world, for the Jew, for the Jew it would be the Mosaic law. The Jews, this is what they were enslaved to. They were trying to keep God's law in order to earn God's favor. It was a relationship. It's built on rules. It's built on rewards. It's built on consequences. And Paul is saying that the Jews, you are enslaved to trying to keep in God's good graces by your behavior. But Paul's also writing to Gentiles who were not under the law. So they were enslaved to all the false gods and idols of the world. And there were many. But here's Paul's point. All of us, Jews, Gentiles, we are all enslaved to something. Slavery, in fact, it really is. Slavery is our natural state. We're enslaved to something. We are enslaved or we are controlled by some things. Maybe it's your emotions, the approval of others, maintaining that right image. Maybe it's success, worshiping idols, or maybe even our own selves. But how do you know? How do we know what it is that enslaves and is holding us captive? I think one way you can see what enslaves us is to look where or when you are actually most comfortable. Because that's what we do. As being enslaved, we will live where we are most comfortable. But when you begin to move away from that, when you begin to move away from where you are most comfortable, you will seek to move back. You will run back to that place of comfort. If you're enslaved to the praises or the acceptance of others, notice what happens when, you don't, when you're not receiving that. You will put yourself in a place to be noticed, to be praised. Maybe a few extra posts on Facebook that people can't ignore. Maybe you're enslaved to success. 
That means you will sacrifice anything. Your marriage, maybe even your integrity to have it because it has enslaved you. We can be enslaved to pride. All you have to do is notice how well you respond to someone else's correction. Man, you will run as fast as you can back to your place of being comfortable and you'll be defensive. Maybe enslaved to being in control. You'll find it hard allowing anyone else, especially God, to be in control. Because you are most comfortable when you are guiding things. So an orphan. An orphan is enslaved to the orphanage. They're enslaved to being an orphan. And when they are outside that comfort, it is hard for them to trust anyone. It's hard for them to see the love of a family that they have for them. And they will run back to the orphanage as fast as they can. But Paul says we don't have to stay that way. Look at verse 4. So beautiful. But when the fullness, when at the right time had come. Meaning this, God has always had a schedule. He has always had a schedule and he has always been in control. You read through the scriptures, good and bad, God is in control. Which means every situation in your life, good and bad, God is in control in the fullness of time. But what did he have scheduled? He says that God, God the Father, sent forth his Son Born of a woman under the law. Many got sent his son. God the Father sent his son out of heaven to the earth on a mission. So notice the mission in verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law. So that we might receive adoption as sons. So Christ actually has a, a twofold mission. In fact, we look at this and we are very familiar with the first part of it. But we often forget about the second. The first part he says that we, he came to redeem, or yours might say ransom us. This means to purchase, to pay the price for someone's freedom. Meaning you were on that slave block and he came and he paid the price for your freedom. But then, the second part of his mission, it says, was to adopt us as sons. That God sent his son not only to free us, but to make us his sons and daughters through adoption. And so, see, it's very common to think about salvation in only the terms of God taking away our sins, and we would call that forgiveness. But when we do that, I think we're really only half saved. If we only think in the terms of forgiveness, the danger is that we can believe, okay, I'm pardoned, but now I have to live the good life to earn or to maintain God's failure. Because that's what a freed slave would do. They would be so indebted that I have to make sure I do everything right to stay in their good graces. But Paul wants us to see that not only did Christ remove the curse we deserve, he redeemed us. But he also gives us the blessing that only Christ deserved. Being God's son. So salvation is not only having your slate wiped clean. 
It's then having Christ's righteousness written on it. So salvation is Jesus dying the death that you and I deserved. But it is also receiving the blessing that Christ alone earned. And this is why the resurrection is so important for our faith. In fact, you heard the scripture this morning. If he did not raise from the dead, we should be pitied above all. Because without it, we have nothing. And we are nothing. Because the resurrection, it proves that Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins and secured our place in God's family. Because of our sins, it says that we have a debt to pay. And that payment, God said, was death. So Jesus comes and he pays the debt for you and I. But the question must have been all day Saturday, would it be enough? Would God really accept that sacrifice? And so the resurrection is God taking your debt and writing paid in full across it. Because if God did not accept Jesus' death as ours, Jesus would still be in the grave. But our debt, it's paid. But not only, not only is your debt paid God welcomes you into His family. He doesn't just set you free and then say, Be gone, be on your own. He sets you free, but He invites you into His family as one of His. Paul is saying, You are no longer orphans. You are adopted sons and daughters. And Christ is the one that secures it for you. It is not based on anything That you could ever do or earn. Your place is earned and secured by Christ and Him alone. Remember the purpose of Galatians. We are so prone to wander from the truth of the gospel. It's just who we are. We are so prone to wander. So Christ secures. Christ secures our place in God's family. It was totally up to Him. He is the one that created all things and holds all things together. And Paul says, he is the one that secures you, not you. But we are so prone to run back to the orphanage. So God sets up another step. Christ secures our place. So the Father makes the plans in just the right time. The Son secures us. Paul's now going to say, then the Spirit will come alongside and assure you Of your place in God's family. Look at verse 6. And because you are sons. You know if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And him alone for salvation. Then this is your reality. You are a son of God. But God knows. There are many things that will call you to question God's love. An orphan doesn't naturally trust. They can't. They will have a hard time believing they are true sons and daughters. So God does something. God does something amazing. Look at the end of verse 6. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son And a son, then an heir through God. 
So God knew that you would doubt His love for you. He knew that was going to happen. So after Christ secures your place, the Holy Spirit is sent to assure you of it. And I know this, this is hard for us to believe and remember. It's hard for us to believe that we are truly in God's favor. It's hard for us to see and be truly convinced that God is for us. Satan's got a lot of things at his disposal. Your past, present, and even future sins and failures, they will be used by Satan to make you question the reality of really being a son and daughter. They'll make you feel unworthy and undeserving and defeated. But if that isn't enough, just the circumstances of your life, it could be your bank account, your job, illnesses, diseases, failures at work or at home, all of these can cause you to question God's love and His commitment to you. But there's good news. God sent His Spirit, it says, to assure you. He sent His Spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. When you doubt, the Spirit is there to assure you. You've probably heard this term translated, Abba, Father. You've probably heard it translated, Daddy, which, which, is, which is true. But it is a mistake to picture this as a young little baby looking up at his father and cooing. Because that is a baby that is not having a hard time resting in his father's love. It is. It is a very intimate term. But it is such a powerful term. In fact, it's the same words that Jesus uttered in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion. Listen to Mark 14. And he said, and Jesus said, Abba, Father... All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So when he is being asked to do the unthinkable thing of drinking the cup of God's wrath, Jesus is able to be fully believe in his Father's love, even when the circumstances would tell him otherwise. How could this be loving of a father to ask his son to do this? In fact, listen to the truth of Romans eight fifteen. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back or to run in fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. So the Holy Spirit is there when you begin to feel yourself and you begin running back to the orphanage out of fear. He's there to reassure you of the Father's total love for you. So the Father is the one that makes the plans. And He has set the plans for our adoption. When we are not even looking for it, He knows. Then the Son, the one that only could, He secures our place with His very life. But then the Spirit, the Spirit is there to assure us of the Father's total love and acceptance of you, not based on your performance. But as orphans, we have a tendency to doubt His love. 
we have a tendency and a hard time to believe that we are actually true sons and daughters. It's difficult to trust that God really is fully committed to us. So the question this morning would be, are you still doubting God's love for you? Are you still longing for that orphanage? You know, I'll never forget, I'll never forget the moment that we realized that Ophie knew, maybe not knew, maybe she was beginning to believe that she was loved and that we were for her. You know, when Ophie came home, ooh, hardest thing in our life. She's almost three years old. She would not let you hold her. She would not let you rock her. She would not let you help her. And she would not let you even tuck her into bed. You know, she was thrust in this world where everything was different. The sights were different. The smells were different. The people were different. The food was different. The language was foreign to her. She was having a hard time believing that these strange new people loved her. She was having a hard time believing that we were for her. And everything in her wanted to run back to the orphanage. The hardest time of the day was always at night. And especially at bedtime. She was so scared to sleep. The hardest part was that she would, would not let you comfort her. You could not rock her. You could not hold her. She would not even let you tuck her into bed. And night after night, we would just sit there and listen to her cries of the orphanage. She would not let you console her. But just, we would try every way that we could to reassure her of our love and our commitment to her that we were for her. And I remember the night, I remember the night that we realized that things were changing. Laying in bed, the crying had started, but all of a sudden, it was quiet. Slowly, we watched this figure come through our door. She slowly began to make her way into our room. And she walked over to Marla's side of the bed and she just looked at her. And then she began to walk back into her room. We looked at each other and we thought, what's going on? We walked back into her room and all she was doing was standing by the rocking chair. She never said a word. But she was reaching out to say, will you rock me? So this morning, will you reach out for help? You know, if you're someone that is not a believer, this Christianity thing can seem scary. You might not understand the language. It's a little strange. The people seem a little different. And you still have so many questions and concerns. And I want you to know it is okay. But will you come out of the orphanage this morning and into God's family today? Reach out to God and ask Him to show you if this is true. 
ask him, can you really be trusted? But if you are a believer, are you really doubt are you still doubting God's love for you? Are you having a hard time believing that you are actually a true son and daughter of his and that God is fully committed to you? I would say simply please, I would beg you stop running back to the orphanage. But listen to his spirit that is shouting, you are his. The Father has a plan. He's a plan for each and every one of our lives. And that plan was to adopt you, to make you part of his family. And then he sent his son to secure that place as only he could do. But he doesn't leave you on your own. He sends the Spirit into you to assure you of who you belong to. So if you will, please stand with me. You will bow your heads. I want to lead us in a time of prayer. If you're here this morning and you are not for sure of where you stand with God, I would ask that you would reach out to Him. At the end of our service today, I'll be here at the front. Some of our elders will be here. There will be people at the door as you leave that we would say simply reach out for help. And if you are a believer this morning, please stop running back to the orphanage. Our Heavenly Father, what a great day it is to be a child of yours. A day of coming to celebrating the moment that everything that we believe hinges upon. And Lord, we would say that we are staking everything in the life and death and resurrection of your Son. Because without that, we are without hope. And so Lord, if there is anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, does not have that security of where they would spend eternity, that you would grant them the faith to believe. And for Father, those of us that that our believers that, that know your Son, you know our tendency to prone and to run back to the orphanage. Lord, I pray that the Spirit would shout even louder that we belong to you. And so it is in his name, the one that was raised back to life on that third day, and by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.